When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this podcast. Let's face it, the latest stat I saw showed that there were over 2 million, like 2.3 million podcasts that have been started. Now, interestingly, about a million and a half of those have died off. They call it pod fade. And yet, we haven't faded away. We are approaching episode number 700, and I have been at this now for over seven years. And so, I appreciate you coming along on the journey of my podcast. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I have to thank the first sponsor. So, this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Now, full disclosure, I actually went to work for Stanton Chase International last year, and they are one of the best companies I have ever been affiliated with. So if your company is looking to grow that senior leadership team, reach out to me and I will put you in touch with the best search executive in your industry. All right. So today we are going to talk about how do you sustain your game? You know, there's a lot of talk out there about how do you grow? How do you, you get more? But the reality is, is you don't want to be one of those one of those companies that just spikes. You don't want to be a flash in the pan. You want to be able to sustain your game. And I'll tell you what, my friend, Alan Stein Jr., he is releasing a book in April called Sustain Your Game. And he is an expert in this and he has a full sports background. So you might get one or two basketball analogies out of talking to Alan. Hey, Alan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Tom, it's so great to be with you, man. You're one of my favorite human beings in the world, and I love anytime we can connect. So thank you so much, brother. Awesome. So, you know, give everybody your background. Tell them where you got started. I know you got started in youth sports uh, and basketball, and you played you played college ball. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you into now being this, this leadership expert in the world of speaking for corporations. So basketball was my first identifiable passion, and I fell in love with the game at five years old. And here, 40 years later, basketball is still a major pillar in my life. And uh, After I graduated, I was able to play it. At the time, it was Elon College. It's now Elon University down in North Carolina. Uh, when, when I retired from formally playing, I went right into being a basketball performance coach and specialized mostly at the youth and high school age level, uh, but was able to work for two really renowned high school programs here in the D.C. area uh, that have produced well over a dozen current NBA players. Uh, that led to some work at Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball. So I, I had the really unique opportunity to see what it took for a player to rise to the highest level of their game. But I also got to see players that had already made it big uh, and what it took for them to sustain that level of excellence. And, you know, I'm an incredibly observant person by nature, uh, and I've really collected the 
the strategies and the disciplines and the mindsets of these players and coaches to figure out what it takes to reach optimal performance and what it takes to stay there. And those are the types of things I share uh, in my keynotes and workshops and certainly share in, in, in the, the book, Sustain Your Game. So how did you go from coaching high-performance teenage basketball players to being one of the most sought-after speakers in the world of, of you know, corporate America? You know, I was ready for a change. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the basketball performance space, and I loved being in the gym and being in the weight room and pouring into those players. Um, but I was ready for a new challenge, and I was ready to do something different. And uh, interestingly enough, a, a fellow speaker of ours, Walter Bond, uh, another very renowned keynote speaker, um, he, he had spoken at a basketball camp um, that I was coaching at. This would have been 15 years ago now. And I remember sitting in that audience and watching Walter do his thing. And I remember thinking, man, I want to do that one day. Like, like he had such control over us in the audience. He made us think, he made us laugh, he made us cry. I mean, I looked at this guy like he was a, a rock star. And I, the seed was planted that day that one day I would love to be as many people call a motivational speaker. That, that's not how I categorize myself but we'll just use the terminology. Um, so the seed was planted then. And then if you fast forward 10 years, so five years ago from now, when I was ready to make a change in my life and in my career, uh, I figured this was the best chance to go for it. This was the best chance to take everything I had learned from the game of basketball and, and find the principles and strategies with the highest utility and show folks how to apply those to their business. And in many cases, just in their life. Well, for what people who don't know the speaking business don't understand is it's hard to go from starting out as a speaker to where Alan is now in five years. He actually has had a meteor, a meteor rise, uh, not meteoric, a meteor, like shoom, flying rise in, in the industry. And the reason is I've been, I, I, I'm an observer also, and I've been watching him for the last couple of years. I think he's the hardest working person in the speaking business is the way he positions himself, the way he works on getting better as a speaker. So that's why he's, he's achieved all this stuff. So you have a new book coming out in April that's called sustain your game. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I know we're a little bit early. Most people go on podcasts like the week their book comes out, but I wanted to talk about this because I've been in, in my role as a speaker now, now 12 years. And I just recently had somebody hire me and she said, Oh, I've been watching you for a long time. There's something to be said in your business about longevity and being able to sustain it. And I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder where that, that lies in, in business. I mean, we know it for like athletes and things like that. So let's talk about the premise of the book that you're currently working on. Sure. Well, the, the first book, Raise Your Game, which came out in January of 2019, was built on how do you reach optimal performance? What are the things that you need to do, regardless of the role you play in your organization, to show up as your best self so that you can make a maximum contribution to those around you? Uh, and that's kind of the impetus for the second book. If reaching optimal performance uh, was the foundation, now we want to figure out, well, how do we sustain that? How do we stay there and, and continue to matriculate and grow and improve and evolve and develop? Um, but, but how do we do that without getting burnt out? How do we do that without, you know, avoiding that, that plateau of stagnation? How do we manage the day-to-day -day stress that we all feel uh, and still love what it is that we do so that you can have an amazing career like you've had for 12 years? I mean, you know, how do you tap into showing up as your best self for long, long periods of time. And, you know, I, I certainly drew on my own experiences and folks that I'd worked with, but, but did some research 
in every different industry. So whether you're talking about a, a Tom Brady or a LeBron James, who've been able to stay on the Mount Rushmore's of their respective sports for two decades, or you're talking about someone in entertainment uh, like a Jay-Z or an Oprah Winfrey, or you're talking about someone like Warren Buffett in business, there, there's something remarkable about these folks that have not only been able to perform well, but still continue to love what they do after all of these years. And, and that's really the goal of the book is to give folks some practical ideas and strategies on, on how they can manage stress, avoid stagnation and beat burnout and keep loving what they're doing. All right. So let's talk about it. How, how do you do it? One of the first things is, is to connect to purpose and, you know, Simon Sinek, somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for and talking about finding your why. Uh, But it's so important to remember, um, that purpose is what's going to keep that fire going. And a lot of people actually confuse function with purpose. Uh, The function of this chair I'm sitting in right now is to provide a place for me to sit. The purpose of this chair is to provide me comfort. Uh, So I want folks to get a little bit more depth when they're really digging into the purpose of what it is that they do. You know, why do you want to show up every day and make the sacrifices you make to be your best self and to be of service to others. So uh, one of the things we always have to do is stay, uh, have great clarity and stay connected to purpose. And uh, these are not cure-alls, but these are some basic pillars and principles that will allow you, you know, to to implement these things to continue to fight, as we said, stress and stagnation and burnout. All right. So connecting to purpose is, is really important, but we have to go deeper than that. There's got to be more to it. All right. I know what my purpose is. I get up every day and I've got that purpose, but, but what else do I need to do? Well, we need to be fully engaged. You know, there was a Gallup poll done a few years ago that said only three in 10 employees, and this was across the country and, and a variety of different industries, said only three in 10 employees feels truly engaged at work. Um, so one, we want to make sure that we're staying engaged, but I know you have a lot of leaders and and C-suite executives that listen to this show. So it's also about how can you create an environment that your team is constantly engaged? Uh, and I found that there's three things that drastically heighten engagement. Uh, one is doing work you enjoy. Two is doing work that you're pretty good at. It utilizes your natural talents and your gifts. And three is doing work that you can see makes a contribution to the greater good, either makes a contribution to someone on your team or it makes a contribution to one of your clients or customers directly. Um, But you know that the work you're doing is is adding to the team. It's adding to the vision and the mission. So uh, the key is once you've attracted and trained the right people on your team is to make sure they're doing work they love, doing work they're pretty good at and doing work they clearly see as making a difference. And uh, when you can check those three boxes, whether for yourself or for someone else, then you see engagement go through the roof. All right. So doing work you enjoy. A lot of people, you know, take a job because they just want to make money and they don't really love what they do. They've got their career ladder up against the wrong wall. So what do we do if we're stuck in a job that we don't enjoy? Well, you're at a very important fork in the road if that's the case. I mean, one, you need to decide, do I want to keep climbing this ladder even though I know it's leaned up against the wrong wall? 
or do I want to rip the bandaid off and move this ladder to a wall that would make me feel better? And that, that is not an easy decision for anyone to make, but it's in a really important one. Um, and there's no right answer. I mean, only, you know, only the person listening to this can answer this for themselves. Uh, if you decide to move the ladder somewhere else, then hopefully you're going to put it towards a wall that, that will check those boxes. If for whatever reason you can't do that financially, you simply can't leave your job, whatever. Um, then I would see if there's a way within your current role or position or where you are on the org chart, are there some subtle nuance changes that can be made maybe to slightly shift your role or have you do slightly different work or maybe the department you're in, you know, maybe you're in marketing, but you would thrive of being in sales. Is there someone that you can have a discussion with that maybe uh, they're going to keep you on the bus they're just going to put you in a different seat. Um, so it might not be the company or the culture um, that, that you don't feel engaged with. It's simply your specific role. So open up some dialogue and, and see if there's a way that you could do different work within the company. And that, to me, uh, that's what leaders should constantly be doing is assessing their team and saying, do I have everyone in the right position? And, you know, if Tom is on my team and he's an absolute rock star, am I utilizing his talents to the best uh, for, for the maximum contribution of the team. And if not, where can I move Tom to that we can, you know, uh, get more of his talent to play an even bigger role and have a bigger impact in our organization. But ultimately it comes down to the person and you have to make the decision. Do I stay where I am and try to switch roles or change, you know, my responsibilities or do I go ahead and move this ladder completely somewhere else? So if I'm a leader, how do I even know if the people on the team aren't enjoying work? I mean, I, I don't think people go, I, you know, hey, boss, I hate working here. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. I know that when I worked in corporate America, I had some jobs I absolutely loved and I had some jobs that I absolutely didn't love, but I didn't let my boss know that I was unhappy or that I was thinking of jumping ship. So how does the boss even know the person isn't happy? It's, it's so vital that you're constantly checking in with your team. Now, uh, keep in mind that what I'm about to share, uh, there's going to be a huge difference between a, an organization that has 20 people and an organization that has 20,000. And I certainly don't expect the CEO of a 20,000 person organization to have a personal conversation with all 20,000 people every single week. But hopefully they've created some type of structure where they have managers and directors and supervisors in place that are in charge of a reasonable amount of people that they could be having this type of check-in. And, and it's simply checking in and these are impromptu conversations that you have and this is one of the reasons that the pandemic has been so disruptive when the entire workforce went remote uh, it made it much more challenging to have kind of these impromptu as we would call water cooler check-ins and discussions but if you were on my team tom you know at least once a week um i would make an effort to just knock on your door or knock on your cubicle or, or stop by uh, your workstation and just check in and say what's going on in your world you know, how are things with you? What are you working on right now that you're most excited about? Are you finding any challenges with what you're doing? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything you need from me? Any resources to be supportive? You know, what, what, what's your favorite thing that you did, you know, last week? Uh, and these are just some prompting questions. But I would just want to make sure that there is open dialogue for us to, to make sure that you know that I want to support you and that I have your back and that your happiness and fulfillment is important to me. And this can't be, you know, necessarily done through a Google survey. And this can't necessarily be me knocking on the door and saying, you know, Tom, are you happy at work? You know, cause you're going to give me 
what I want to hear. This needs to be truly genuine and authentic, and it needs to be a constant check-in. You know, if I only do this once a year, mm-hmm. the chance of you feeling comfortable enough to share anything and be vulnerable is is very minor. If I'm checking in with you for three or four minutes, once or twice a week, then we have a rapport. And then I'll start to notice your behavior. I'll notice if if there's a decrease in productivity or I'll notice through your facial expressions and body language if you don't seem to be enjoying work as much as maybe you had in the past. So it's about opening up dialogue. And one of the most important things for anyone listening to this right now going, you know, I don't have time for all of that extra work. My question, my, my, my challenge to you is that is not extra work. That is your work. As a leader, your number one job is to get the most out of your people and to get them to to make maximum contributions and to love being a part of your team. So don't consider that extra work. Consider that, you know, vital uh, part of your work and your job description. So the next thing you said is do work that you're good at. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's a lot of people out there who think they're very good at their job who aren't. So how do you even know if you're good, let me let me let me give you an example. In our business as speakers, I talk to people because I've been doing this for over a decade. A lot of people say, "Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brain?" You know, I'd, I'd like to be a speaker, and so I'll ask them about you know their experience, what they've done, you know where they've given presentations, and they'll be like, "Oh," and I'll say, "You know, are you any good?" And they'll be like, "Oh, I'm really good." Everybody comes up to me after I give a speech, and they say, "Great speech." And the problem is, we live in a polite society, and and you know this as well that. After someone gives a speech, no one in the audience, unless they're just a jerk, is going to walk up and go, hey, Becky, that was highly mediocre. In fact, when you said in conclusion, I wanted to applaud. Nobody says that. We live in a polite society. So people walk up to the speaker and they say, hey, great speech. And I was talking to one person one time, one of our one of our colleagues, I won't say who, and she goes, no, you're wrong. I'm brutally honest. I would never tell somebody great speech unless they were great. And I said, well, what do you say? to that mediocre speaker. She goes, I would say, I love that story about your sister. And I looked at her and said, great. Do you know what the speaker just heard? Great speech. So there are people out there who think they're good who are just okay. So how do you even know? You say, do work that you're good at. For some people, how do they even identify if they're good at what they do? And then the follow-up to that is, if they're not great at what they're doing, how can they get better? Oh boy, man, we, we could probably do five hours just based on that. I love, I love how insightful you are and you really pulled on a, on a great thread. All of this are going to be spokes off of the same wheel of self-reflection and self-introspection and having higher self-awareness. You know, we all, especially as speakers, I know this is a trap I can fall into as well. We have to be very careful um, about judging ourselves based on external feedback and based on, oh. on those types of things. Oh, I spent a lot of time believing my own press. I had to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it has to come more from within. And, and I know even using speaking as an example now, you know, I, I do work relentlessly on, on designing a customized program with the best content that I can. Uh, I rehearse incessantly so that I'm able to deliver it hopefully in a captivating and energizing way. Uh, and I try to be incredibly easy to work with, with the meeting planner uh, or the bureau or whoever, um, you know, I want to be the easiest part of their entire day. And uh, I do enough self-reflection and introspection to know when I step off stage, did I do the best that I was capable of in that moment? And I, I can be fair, a fairly harsh critic of myself. 
Now, of course, it feels good to get some of that affection and adoration from the audience. It, it feels good to get some feedback, you know, when they send out a survey and you get a lot of different praise. Um, but I don't allow my self-worth or my self-confidence to be dictated by anyone other than myself. Now, with that said, when you heighten your self-awareness, you'll start to get clarity on the handful of things that you do pretty well, uh, what, what skill sets and what inherent traits and natural talents that you have. And the key to per our conversation is just making sure that those natural talents and gifts that you have are in alignment with the type of work that you're doing. Um, and then you need to be able to, you should have a feeling of whether or not, am I performing at a high level? Am I showing up as my best self? Am I making a maximum contribution? It's also important though to, in this case, in a corporate structure is to get that feedback for maybe a, a superior or for someone that can say, you know, uh, am I doing everything that you want me to do or that the team needs me to do for us to be successful and be very open to their feedback and coaching. You know, I know one of the things that, that you and I share is we're very open to feedback and coaching, you know, from, from speaking coaches and from people that know the craft and that can say, Hey, have you thought about doing things this way? Or have you thought about sharing, you know, doing this when you're telling this story, because we're always constantly looking for improvement. But but really, to, to answer your question a little more succinctly, is it comes down to the self-awareness and being able to figure out, are the things that I'm naturally pretty good at in alignment with what I'm being asked to do here? And, you know, that that I think is what's most important. Once you know that you're on the right train tracks, then you can start to very judiciously ask for some feedback from those that can help kind of refine that even more. Uh, and then when you do find opportunities for growth or you, you expose a blind spot or some area that you can improve, um, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in, in coaching and I'm a huge believer in, in mentorship. I'm a huge believer in, you know, asking someone that's already doing the type of work you want to do or is performing at the type of level that you want to perform and, and getting them to help you kind of close that gap and narrow that gap. Yeah. And I think one of the things is, is sometimes if you're going to ask for that feedback, you also have to have a thick skin because sometimes if you ask for feedback, people are going to come back with some stuff that's harsh. And if, if you're the type of person who immediately shuts down, then you're not going to get the feedback again because nobody wants to hurt you. Right. So it's like you, you've got to be open to that feedback that you can then grow in into that. Um, the last thing that you said is make sure that, uh, you know, somehow you're connected to contributing to the greater good. And this one really rung a bell in, in me because I'm, I'm a big believer in that. However, I recently met a young guy who's trying to become a speaker. And one of the questions I asked him was, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because early in the conversation, he the first thing I said is, what do you do for a living? And he said, I have a seven-figure coaching business. And it made me laugh because I thought, wow, you could have just said you had a coaching business. I don't know why he needed to throw in the monetary piece of it, but it was very important to him to let me know that he was making a million dollars as a coach. And I said, that's awesome because, you know, I don't, but, you know, more power to him. However, when I asked him the question of what do you do to give back to the greater good, he looked at me and goes, I don't understand the question. Mm. And I'm like, let, let me rephrase it. What do you do to give back to the greater good? And he goes, I don't understand why you're asking that. And I said, well, as you're growing, and he was young, as you're growing and you're doing these things, if you're this successful, you need to find sure. a way. And he goes, well, no, I'm going to wait until I'm worth tens of millions of dollars. Then I'll give back to the greater good. And it made me barf inside my mouth. So when you just said, you know, hey, have you know, have a, your contribution to the greater good. How, how do people even grasp that in a world where it's me, 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 me? 
Yeah. Well, you know, with not knowing who it is that you're referencing, I can speak with full transparency and vulnerability that when I was younger, uh, I was so insecure in so many different ways in my life that I would need to puff my chest out. And I would preface certain things that I had done or accomplished when no one even asked. And it was simply a, a way for me to kind of mask my insecurity and make me feel more confident. And, and it never quite worked. So uh, I do have some empathy uh, and find it a bit comical that he, he had to lead with that. You know, I, I found, and this is through my own life experience and many of the people that I've worked with and talked to, um, that when we feel like we're making a contribution to the world around us, whether that world is, is at our table, uh, is, is our business, or is to the greater good of all humankind, when we feel like we're adding value to others, we simply feel better. You know, it's, it's that old adage, you, you know, you, you usually feel better when you give someone a gift than you do when you receive one, you know? So to me, making sure that we're connected to this feeling of contribution, you know, no one wants to go uh, work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and feel like their work is meaningless and that it's not making a difference. You know, whatever that, that company's mission or vision or North star is, uh, they want to feel like they're in some way, shape or form helping the team inch towards that. And it's, it's important that, you know, we, we highlight that and make sure that everyone knows, you know, if you look at a, a typical corporate structure where you've got a variety of different pillars, you, you've got the, uh, you, the executive team, uh, you've got the sales team, you've got research and development, you've got marketing, you know, you've got all of these different pillars. And, and sometimes, especially for the folks that aren't client or customer facing, uh, it's easy for them to kind of get lost in the work and to not really understand uh, that they're making a difference. Uh, one of the best groups that I've ever seen do this is DHL, the the, the big shipping Goliath. Uh, I know they're not as big in the United States. We tend to go with UPS and FedEx, but on a global level, DHL is an absolute Goliath. And they work really hard to make sure that every single person on their team and they have hundreds of thousands of employees around the world understands that they're making a contribution. You know, they go out of their way to make sure that the person working the graveyard shift in a regional warehouse uh, in some rural area who is literally just loading brown box after brown box onto a, a truck, you know, they want them to feel connected and know they're making a contribution. And they, they actually solicit customer testimonials and videos to show those folks to say, you're not loading a brown box onto a truck. You're loading a little kid's Christmas present onto a truck. You're not putting a brown box on a truck. You're, you're loading a future bride's wedding dress on a truck. You're, you're not delivering brown boxes. You're actually delivering dreams. So when it's three in the morning and you feel your work is monotonous, I hope you know that the brown boxes you're putting on there, you're helping us deliver promises to people around the world. And your work is really important because if you're not in that warehouse loading those boxes, that kid is not going to get that Christmas present or that bride is not going to get her wedding dress. So you need to know that you are important and we value you and appreciate the work that you do for us. And, you know, that, that makes all the difference in the world. You're telling me that if you worked at DHL and somebody said that to you, that you wouldn't the next night when you're loading brown box after brown box, wouldn't do so with a little bit more pride, a little bit more enthusiasm, that you wouldn't feel a stronger connection to those on your team. So uh, in little ways, I think it's so important to show folks, you know, Tom, your work matters to all of us. And you might not necessarily be seen by the customers or the clients, but we see you and we appreciate you. Oh, that's, that is, that is awesome. So I got a couple more questions for you before I let you go, but first I have to thank the other sponsor 
of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Alan Stein Jr. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you listening want to do that, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. All right, so Alan, as we wrap this up, I get a couple thousand executives, business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs listening to the show. What do you wish when it comes to really sustaining their game, to being able to achieve at high levels for a long period of time, what do you wish that all leaders and the people working for them, what do you wish they knew? I wish they knew that prioritizing your own self-care is not an act of selfishness. It's actually an act of selflessness that some of the highest performing executives that I've ever met are in such, they're such servant leaders and they're always pouring into their people and pouring into their families and pouring into the folks on their team that they forget to take care of themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, that they end up running themselves into the ground and running out of gas because they're always in service of other people. And I want them to know that if you take an hour out of your day uh, to get in a workout, maybe have a, a green smoothie or maybe meditate or maybe take some time to read a book or take time to listen to some of Tom's podcasts, that that's not a selfish act. You are doing that in service of others because when you fill your bucket first and you make sure your bucket is full, you have more to give everybody else. And, and that's really the, the unwritten agreement of being a part of a team is I am making the commitment to show up as my best self with my bucket full for everything that we do. And it's so important that leaders lead by example. And it's, it's so easy. And this is what increases stress, increases stagnation, and is a direct leader to burnout is by not doing that, is by, is by not making time to fill your own bucket and doing the things that recharge you and energize you mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I wish everyone would know that you will be a better spouse, you will be a better parent, you'll be a better executive, you'll be a better teammate, you'll be a better member of your community if you make the time to pour into yourself first. Oh, that, is, that is awesome. All right, so my last question for you, I referred to you as the hardest working person in the speaking business. Where do you get your work ethic? Well, I sure appreciate the compliment. You know, uh, I understand that when it's time to work, I'm going to have a tremendous work ethic and I have great focus and I go all in. But I also want everyone to know I am definitely not a workaholic. I am definitely not someone who grinds all the time. I'm not part of this hustle culture. I know when to turn it off. Uh, I know when to get you know to rest and recharge and rejuvenate. So when my light switch is on. I very much appreciate your compliment and I try to work as hard as anybody, but I turn that light switch off as often as it needs to for me to completely recharge. As far as the actual work ethic, um, I, I do think that that being involved in youth sports my entire life has played a massive role in that, that, that I always saw as a young person, even as, as young as seven or eight years old, that there was a direct correlation between the effort I put forth and the return that I got as far as progress and improvement, that the harder I worked in practice, 
then the better I became at, at my chosen sport. And having that connection made in my brain very early, it stayed with me my entire life. I still believe that, you know, your effort and your attitude, which I think are the only two things we have 100% control over, uh, are the things that we need to be investing most of our, our focus into. So I take a tremendous amount of pride in my work ethic and my attitude. And I try to let everything else go. All of the other stuff that I have no control over, I try to just let that go. But I've had a lot of people in my life that I'm very thankful have modeled a great work ethic for me. Uh, and I certainly hope to model that for my children. Nice, nice. Well, Alan, if somebody's listening to this and they think, hey, we need to hire a speaker. Uh, we need to have books for our people on how to raise their game, how to sustain their game. How do people in the audience find out more about you? They can go to allensteinjr.com. Uh, they can also go to a, a supplemental site, strongerteam.com. And I'm very easy to find on social media. I'm just at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I try to be incredibly accessible and I love uh, having dialogue. So anyone, if if you enjoyed this conversation with Tom and I, and uh, you just want to reach out, maybe ask a question, uh, by all means, highly welcome that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and being a guest here on Making Waves at Sea Level. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this podcast? Seven years and almost 700 episodes later, we're not stopping anytime soon. So uh, do me a favor. Yes, yes, like every podcaster, I want you to go leave one of those fancy five-star reviews that says, I love this podcast. But more important, tell somebody else. When I meet somebody and they say they listen to my show, I'm like, how did you ever find my little podcast? And they say, my boss told me, my mom told me, my neighbor told me, somebody who knew that I was trying to grow my career said that this was a good show to listen to. So go tell some friends right now. No, I'll wait. No, I'll wait longer. Go ahead. Nah, seriously. Thank you so much. Go share, share the share the word because word of mouth marketing is still one of the most important things out there for anyone who's trying to grow a business, a podcast, a speaking career, whatever it is, word of mouth goes a long, long way. So I appreciate you if you go share that with somebody. Uh, be back in a couple of days. We'll interview somebody else who's making waves in business, somebody just as cool as Alan Stein Jr. And you're thinking, Tom, how will you ever find anybody that cool? Well, we do it every single time. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles, Make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall. And while you're at it, have some fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.